Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come together and to worship you and to magnify and to glorify you and you only, Father. And we're thankful for just a time of pure worship, Lord. And Father, I pray that and trust that our hearts are are ready uh, to receive, Lord, the seed of your word and that we're just, Lord, excited, Lord, to hear from you today. And Father, I decrease that you would increase and to myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12. We're almost done with this series, right? Uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 10 is today's text. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. We're now in part 16 of our series, From the Heart. Say, From the Heart. And you know that uh, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, uh, which was chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. And I gave you two points. And the first point of last week's text was Paul's credentials. Say that, Paul's credentials. And that's in verses 16 through 22. And Paul has been forced, forced to boast, to defend his apostleship, to speak the truth. He has been forced to identify himself as a true, a true apostle and to give his credentials because these false apostles, these Judaizers, these legalists attempted to destroy his credibility. The second point was Paul's suffering. Say that. And that's in verses 23 through 33. And you see the, the false apostles and these Judaizers boasted about worldly things, but Paul, Paul boasted about his sufferings, his sufferings, about how he identified with Christ in suffering. And then what Paul does, Paul then gives a list of how he suffered to describe what being a servant of Christ is really all about, the true marks of a servant of Christ. And then what he does, he climaxes this narration of his sufferings by telling of his humiliating experience at Damascus when he barely escaped with his life as he was smuggled out of the city in the basket let over the wall. If you got it, say got it. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is Power in Weakness. Everyone say that. And here what Paul does, Paul continues his defense against those in, 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 in the Corinthian church, who, who wanted to discredit his apostleship. Three points from today's text, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is, is, is Paul's vision. Everyone say that. Paul's vision, and we're going to look at verse 1. Paul's vision, verse 1. Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to what? Visions. Say visions. And revelations, say revelations, from who? From the Lord. So Paul writes this because it's evident that the false apostles and these Judaizers, they bragged and boasted about spiritual powers and encounters with God. Well, Paul, we know that Paul, if you read the New Testament, right, and you know the life of Paul, we know that Paul had his share of visions and revelations. In fact, I want you to follow me here. In Acts, and these are all in Acts, in Acts chapter 9, Verses 1 through 9, Acts 9, 1 through 9. Uh, it was there on the road to Damascus where Paul had a vision of a Christ and was blinded. In Acts chapter 9, verse 12, Acts chapter 9, verse 12, he has a vision of a man called Ananias to give him instruction. In Acts chapter 16, 
16, verses 6 through 10, Paul is there in Troas, and there in Troas, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying to Paul, Paul, come to Macedonia. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, write that down, Acts 23, verse 11, Jesus came to Paul in a vision, and God spoke to him, okay, that he would testify about him in Rome. In Acts chapter 27, Acts 27, verses 23 to 26, God gave Paul another vision guaranteeing that his life and all those on board would make it and he would stand before Caesar. Say visions. Come on, say revelations. God revealed, listen now, God revealed things to Paul, not to these false apostles or Judaizers. Are you guys with me? Write this down, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verses 2 and 3. And Paul writes this, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, listen to what he says, that is the mystery, say mystery, made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And we know if you study that in Ephesians, that mystery, that revelation, was that through Jesus Christ, listen now, Paul would unite Jews and Gentiles in one body. Got it? God revealed that to Paul. So let's look at the vision. Say the vision. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, I know a man in Christ. Did you guys get that? I, he says, know a man in Christ. Well, who is this man? Well, it's Paul. And, and he speaks in the third person, and we'll see in a bit why he does that. So he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, how many years? Was caught up, say caught up. That's the word harpazo. Say harpazo. That means to snatch out or away, to carry off by force. It's the same word harpazo, the same word used to describe the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Write that down, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. So I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was cut up, harpazo, snatched out to the what? The third, say it, heaven. The third heaven. Think about that, okay? Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not, I do not know, Paul says. God knows. So this begs the question, why is Paul speaking in the third person? Why? Well, it could be one, for one of two reasons. This is a rabbinical style, a rabbinical style of introducing a tender subject. And you see the rabbi, what the rabbi would do, they would introduce himself, he would induce himself by introducing himself in the third person, and then eventually down the line, he would say, it's me, it is me. But it could also mean, this is the second reason, that Paul was uncomfortable, uneasy about saying, it's me. Are you guys with me? About saying it's me when referring to this vision, about being caught up in the third heaven. You see, he's basically speaking of himself, Paul, as an onlooker. As an onlooker, because this thing about boasting left him feeling really uneasy, really uncomfortable, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to speak this way. And so to avoid, listen now, to avoid exalting himself. You guys with me? He describes himself in the third person rather than the first person. Are you guys still with me? 
Now notice, he said this vision happened how many years ago? 14 years, right before the writing of this letter. And most scholars believe this happened when Paul was stoned at Lystra. And they drug his body out of the city, and they thought that Paul was dead. Other scholars believe this vision happened while he was in Tarshish, where he spent 10 years there. Now, now whether he had this vision in Lystra or in Tarshish, uh, you know, it, it's not as important as the fact that he kept it quiet for 14 years. I mean, if you had a vision like that, you say, hey, let me tell you what I saw, right? He kept it quiet for 14 years. Now, what does Paul mean when he says the third heaven? Well, the Jews spoke of three heavens. They did. They called certain of those heavens the Shamayim. And Paul was a Jew, right? Paul was a Jew. So, so follow me here. The Jews would refer to the first heaven. Say the first heaven. And that first heaven consisted of the atmosphere. The sky, the birds, and the clouds. Got it? The second heaven, say second heaven, consists of the celestial heaven. Speaking of the stars and the galaxies and the moon and the sun and space. The third heaven, say third heaven, is the dwelling place of God. It's where God abides. It's his abode. And Paul identifies it. Are you guys with me? Look, look, look at verses 3 and 4. Because here, Here's where he identifies it. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. Here we go. Was caught up to where? Come on, say it. Paradise and heard inexpressible things. You got you to remember that. Things that man is not, say not, permitted to tell. Question, what did Jesus say? And as we're approaching Easter, right, Good Friday, what did, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in what? Paradise. And by the way, I want to say this, just kind of just, the Mormons, the Mormons' doctrine about heaven is that there, is, there are different levels of heaven. They, they divide them into compartments dwelt by people after they die. In other words, to the Mormons, they believe that bad people go to the first heaven, good people go to the second heaven, and good Mormons go to the third heaven. Well, that's not biblical. Say, that's not biblical. And God bless them and pray for them, right? Okay. Now, now, a person can fly through the first heaven on an airplane. Got it? Okay. And a man has walked through part of the second heaven as he walked on the moon. But no man, say no man, say no woman, can get to the third heaven apart from God's Son, Jesus Christ. Right? John 14, 6, to prove it to you, John 14, 6, Jesus said, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, say no one, comes to the Father except by me. Got it? And you see what Paul did. Paul caught a glimpse of heaven, a glimpse of, of paradise. Now, I want you to follow me here, all right? In the Greek, the word paradise is paradisos. Say it, paradisos. Come on, church, say paradisos. It means a walled garden, a walled garden. And it was actually a place in earthly kingdoms, and I want you to get this now, that the king had as a special, magnificent, beautiful, watered garden where he would take favored guests, favored guests 
And they would have the, the privilege of walking in a private kind of meeting with the king. Around and through the walled garden, spending quality time with the king. Did you get that? Say paradisos. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Walking with the king. One day, you and I, are you guys with me? We'll be walking with the king. Right? Walking with the king. Being with Jesus. Being in his presence. Walking and talking with the king for all of eternity. Think about it. We, we read about him. We know him in our hearts, right? We praise him. We worship him. But one day, you and I will be walking with him. Are you with me? And that just excites my heart. Amen? Paradisos. Paradisos. Let's look at the text again. Was caught up to paradise, a paradise. But notice what he says. And heard inexpressible things that man is not, not permitted to tell. So Paul, when he was caught up in the third heaven, paradise, paradisos, Paul heard the divine secrets, listen now, that are shared only in heaven. Got it? And by the way, this happened to Daniel. And I want you to write this down. Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Daniel 12, 8 and 9 says, I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will be, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, this is not to be repeated. It's sealed. This also happened to John. John. Revelation 10.4, Revelation chapter 10, verse 4. It says, And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, I was about to write it down, right? But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Are you guys getting this? So Daniel, John, and Paul got a revelation from God that was not to be expressed, not to be shared. Now, whatever it was that Paul saw in heaven, whatever it was that Paul heard in heaven, he was not to say one thing about it. Now, Paul could have gone on a book tour. Yeah, on a book tour with a book entitled The Pastor in Paradise, but he didn't. Could have, but he didn't. And what about those people who die and say they went to heaven and came back? They got, they got book contracts. Huh? Speaking engagements, talk shows or on TV, reality shows. Not Paul. Not Paul. Instead of exploiting his experience, he kept it quiet up to this point. 14 years. Didn't say a word about being caught up in the third heaven for 14 years. Huh? That's amazing. Verse 5. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Except about my, and I love this, say what? Weaknesses. I love Paul's attitude here. I love his attitude. Usually when a person boasts, they boast about what? How great they are. How great they are, their successes, their strengths. Okay, what Paul did, and I love this, was limit his boasting to his weaknesses. 
his weaknesses. Verse 6, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. Now, Paul is, is implying here that there's a whole lot more, a whole lot more he could have said about his experience being caught up in the third heaven if he was able and about his defense of his apostleship if he wanted to, but he didn't. Notice, notice what he says. But I, what? Refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted, but, but by what I do or what? Say. And I love the fact, I love the fact that Paul didn't want anyone to think more highly of him than what they actually saw in his life and in his message. He's like, don't judge me by the revelation that I received from God. Don't judge me by that, but by the life that I live for Christ. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? That my actions speak louder than my words. Let my actions, actions, how I live, speak louder than my words. Right? That my walk speaks louder than my talk. And I want to tell you, Christians, brothers and sisters, all right, listen now, our actions should speak louder than our words. I mean, we, we could have a good talk about Christianity and what we believe, and that's good and all, but it really doesn't mean anything if you're not living it out. And we need more believers who live what they believe, that their belief will determine their behavior. Yeah? And I love that about Paul, that we, that our actions would speak louder than our words because the world needs to see good examples of what a Christian is like. Amen? Paul's vision number two is Paul's vexation. And that's another word for frustration or displeasure. Paul's vexation, frustration, or displeasure. So let's look at verse 7. Paul writes, to, to keep me from becoming, listen to what he says, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited, proud, prideful, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a what? A thorn a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me or buffet me. Paul's saying that to keep me from getting full of pride, God keeps me humble by this thorn. The word thorn there comes from the word which refers to a sharp wooden stake to torture or impale someone. The word uh, buffet means to strike with the fist to mistreat. Listen, whatever it was that Paul endured, it was to him like being beaten with an open fist or being impaled on a stake. The bottom line, it was what? Painful. It was painful. So what was the nature of his thorn? Well, we don't know. It doesn't tell us. But theories are held that it could have been malaria, perhaps epilepsy. It could have been insomnia, uh, migraines. I don't know. Or ophthalmia. And ophthalmia is inflammation of the eye. And, and I, I tend to believe it was that one, ophthalmia. 
inflammation of the eye. And I'll tell you why I believe that, because in Galatians, write this down, Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul writes this to those in Galatia there, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. That's how painful it was. He couldn't really see. He says, you would have, that's how much you love me, you would have torn out your eyes and given them, given them to me. Galatians 6, 11. Galatians 6, 11. He says, see what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. I couldn't see very well. So I tend to believe that it was inflammation of the eye. Could be wrong, okay, but I tend to believe it because of what Galatians says. So God allowed, say aloud, this thorn, this sickness to keep Paul from getting full of pride. And the thorn kept Paul humble. Now listen, church, I want you to get this. Pride, say pride, is one of the deadliest things, deadliest things to our walk with Jesus Christ. It makes us think that we, you know, that, uh, that we get all the credit for the things that happen around us, that we can just do it on our own. In fact, pride was the downfall of who? Lucifer, Right? You see, God uses thorns, and I want you to get this. God uses thorns in our lives to keep us trusting in Him and not in ourselves. And looking to Him, not looking at ourselves. James 4, 6b says, God opposes the proud but gives what? Grace to the, to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't need to lift yourself up. He'll do it in due time. Right? So lesson, are you ready for the lesson? Stay humble. Stay humble. And I want to tell you this. If we cannot stay humble, when God starts to use us, friends, then he may allow a thorn in our flesh to keep us humble. Are you with me? Stay humble. You may be that, but you're not all that. Are you with me? And we need to stay humble, friends, and know that it's God doing his work in us. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, you know what I love about God? He's amazing, isn't he? What I love about God, he knows how to mix the amount of blessings and burdens, right? Right? He does. He knows how to do that. Okay, right? He knows how to just, just the right amount of blessing and right amount of burdens that we get. Because if it was all blessing, let's be honest, if it was all blessing, we become prideful. Right? If it's all blessing, 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 blessing. I'm not saying you can't be blessed because you can be blessed, but if it's all blessing, guess what? You become prideful. Look at me, I'm blessed. Right? And you may be, okay? But listen, friends, if it's all blessing, we become prideful. If it's all burdens, we get crushed. Are you guys with me? But if you get the right balance, blessings and burdens, then you'll what? Listen, you'll be matured. Got it? Write this down, Job, because I want, I want just real quick here about Job. I love what he says in Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Job 2, 9 and 10 says, His wife said, Are you still holding on to your integrity, curse God and die. Man, Job lost everything except a nagging wife. Yeah, poor guy. Yes. First, you are, listen, you are talking like a foolish woman. And listen to what he says. I love this. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? 
God gives us blessings and allows burdens in our lives not to break us, but to build us up. It will make us stronger if we receive it in the right way. And I think sometimes because we think we're Christians that, you know what, I, I'm not, I shouldn't receive burdens. But God is interested in your character more than your comfort. And the way he builds your character is by, listen now, allowing burdens in your life. Amen? Let's look at the text. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger saving to torment me, buffet me. Satan's acting to destroy. God is acting to develop. Got that? To develop. God's using the suffering to develop us. God loves you. He loves me. And he wants you and I to grow. He wants you and I to mature. And because of that, he will allow burdens in your life. May not cause them, but he'll allow them. Because he wants you and I to grow up. Amen? Paul's vision, Paul's vexation. How about this? Paul's, number three, Paul's victory. Say that. Paul's victory. Verse 8, and you got to get this. Three times. How many times? I pleaded. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away, to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, some people teach that you lack faith if you ever ask more than once. That if you, if you really, really believe, if you believe it, you only need to ask once. Well, Paul's example here blows that theory right out of the water. Right? Paul asked how many times? Three times. Three, it's there in the text. Three times. And the reason why he didn't ask a fourth time, why, friends, was because God answered him. Not because he reached some invisible prayer limit. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. Right? Three times. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. And three times God's answer is no, no, no. Listen, sometimes, Christians get this, sometimes God says no. Are you guys with me? And unfortunately, there's some teaching out there that says that God never says no to your healing. It's not true. Are you with me? God says no sometimes. Now I want you to notice that God didn't just say no to Paul and leave it at that. He gave Paul a very important promise. In fact, friends, I love this, a very important promise to every single believer who is suffering. Verse 9. Here we go. Here's a promise. But he said to me, my what? Come on, say it loud, my what? Grace is what? Sufficient for you. Can I, get, can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get praise God? Amen? I want to stop there. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God didn't give Paul any explanations. Because God doesn't have to give us explanations. But God instead gave him a promise. Let me say this real quick. When you're going through whatever you're going through, God does not, he's not obligated to owe you explanation while you're going through it. But listen what he does. He gives you promises. Notice, and I want you to notice, that Paul doesn't say my grace, 
doesn't say, my grace will be sufficient for you or my grace could be sufficient for you. No, he says, my grace is what's sufficient for you. Is, say is. That's what God's saying, is. That means that we don't have to ask God for sufficiency of grace. It's already operational in our lives, okay, if we are willing to lay hold of it. You see, God is telling Paul, and God is telling us as well, what I give you is enough to handle your situation. Now listen, God always has the power. We're talking about because he has a thorn in his side. He's asking God to heal him, to take it away. In, in terms of knowing that, God always has the power to heal, but it's not always God's purpose. And we do pray for healing here at Cry Out, but we pray that it be God's will. Now if you're safe, say Amen. When we ask for healing, whatever your sickness, ailment, affliction is, when we ask for healing, just as Paul did, God will answer us in one of two ways, okay? In one of two ways, he will answer us with supplying grace or sustaining grace. Supplying grace is when God will heal us. You pray and bam, he heals us. Divine healing. Sustaining grace is when God will not heal us, but gives us the grace to sustain us through it. You getting it? Supplying, he will heal. Sustaining, he will, listen now, sustain, give you the grace to sustain you and I through that sickness, ailment, or affliction. And guess what? And we are able, in, the, in terms of sustaining grace, able to be a powerful witness to others. And in the process, what God's doing, God is building character in our lives. You see, in this context, Paul's talking about, he's not talking about saving grace here because we're saved, right? He's talking about grace that enables us, grace that empowers us, sustaining us through our affliction. Got it? I love the way Warren Wiersbe put it. In the Christian life, he says, we get many of our blessings through transformation, not substitution. When Paul prayed three times for the removal of his pain, he was asking God for substitution. In other words, give me health instead of sickness, deliverance instead of pain and weakness. Sometimes God does meet the need by substitution, but other times he meets the need by transformation. He does not remove the affliction, but he gives us his grace so that the affliction works for us, not against us. You're saved, say amen. What God gives us is enough for us. He knows how much we can handle, friends. He knows that. He knows how much we can bear. And he may provide supplying grace and praise God for that substitution. But he also may provide sustaining grace transformation. Now remember what I just said back in the first part of this verse that we do not have to ask God, for sufficiency of grace, it's already operational in our lives and we just take a, are willing to take a hold of it. Well, this is how it happens. This is how you and I take a hold of it. Ready? Here we go. Let's read on. For my power is what? Made what? Perfect in weakness. It's in weakness. That's how we lay a hold of it. In Paul's weakness, the grace of God enabled, empowered, sustained him in an amazing way to do things that otherwise Paul would not have been able to do. I want you to follow me here. God didn't give Paul what Paul asked for. He gave Paul what Paul needed. 
Because the best way for God's power, the best way for God's strength, the best way for God's grace to be operational in Paul's life is for him to be kept in a place of weakness. And that's the same for us as well. Listen to Paul's response. Let's read on. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my what? Infirmities, weaknesses. Why? Why? So that Christ power. Say power. Say it like you have power. Power. That Christ's power may what? Rest on me. And the idea here is power is continually, continually excuse me, increased as the weakness grows. Get this. Our weakness opens the way for more of Christ's power and grace in our lives. You want Christ's power in your life? Hey, admit you're weak. Right? Right? And the more the weakness, the more the strength, okay? When we're weak, that's when God's power is able to work in our lives. You see, friends, when we are weak, when we recognize, they recognize that we are weak, that's when we finally open up our lives up to allow God's power to work in us. When we're weak, we are Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. Got it? Not self-sufficient. Verse 10, verse 10a, verse 10a. That is why, for Christ's sake, whose sake? Not Paul's sake, for Christ's sake. I delight, delight, take pleasure. Now I'll explain that. Okay? Content in weaknesses, in insult, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. Now listen, Paul isn't saying that he enjoys hurting that he enjoys insults, that he enjoys uh, rejection. He's saying the things that seem to me to be weaknesses can turn out to be pleasures because they are opportunities for God to be at work in me and through me. You guys with me? Verse 10b, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God, that is such an awesome portion of Scripture. For when I am weak, say weak, then I am strong. God didn't allow this thorn in Paul's flesh to punish him. I want you to get that. He didn't do it to punish him or to keep him weak for, for the sake of weakness. He allowed it to show a divine strength in Paul's life. And you see, Paul knew that in order to activate the flow of God's power in his life that he, listen now, that he had to first embrace his own weaknesses and then present himself before God as a, get this now, before God as a what? Empty vessel. God, I'm empty. Paul came to that realization, God, I'm empty. God, I'm weak. God, I got nothing. Nothing. And God's like, Paul, so glad you finally figured that one out. That's exactly, God's, I believe God is saying this to us as well. That's exactly where I need you to be. Now, now, now I can use you. Are you guys with me? I can use you. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Recognize and confess our weakness to God. Recognize and confess our weakness to God. Paul understood that, God's, that God responds to the confession of our weakness. 
God does. You see, when we confess our weakness, and we should, God's response is his grace and his power. Got it? You know, some of us here this morning need to just cast ourselves, throw ourselves face down completely before God and say, God, I'm empty. God, I'm weak. God, I am utterly, utterly dependent on you because there is nothing or no one to depend on but you. Because you're faithful. You're consistent. You're God. And if we want to be used by God, if we want God to use us, then we must confess our weakness. And God is waiting for some of us to say, Lord, I can't do it. I'm weak. Um, I got nothing. I'm empty. And God said, okay, now I'm ready to use you. Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Because God uses empty vessels. Amen. You're safe. Say amen. You've heard this before. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Someone said this, we pray for lighter burdens when we ought to pray for stronger backs. We pray for an easier path when we ought to pray for tougher feet. We pray for fewer problems when we ought to pray for better solutions. I'm going to wrap this up with one more lesson. Are you ready for one more lesson? And I want you to get this lesson. Don't let your physical affliction I would say ailments keep you from serving. Did you get that? Don't let your physical affliction keep you from serving. Don't let it be a barrier, listen now, to effective service. You know, and I I want you to hear my heart here, okay? There are some Christians who pamper themselves and use every little ache and pain and excuse to stay home and refuse to come and serve in church. Some of you may not like that. I don't know, but I'm just being honest. And I am thankful there are many, many of you here who are hurting physically. You have physical ailments, back issues, heart issues, joint issues, just you can't move because... And you're still here serving. And it blesses my heart. But unfortunately, you have some folks who say, well, you know what? I have an ache here, a pain here, but I I can't serve because of that. But yet, you know, you see them on Facebook or on a video at a wedding reception, tirando la chancla, you know, dancing like this. And then it's like, it's okay. But then they walk like this also after they dance. True? True? Paul didn't allow the thorn in his flesh to become a barrier. I mean, this guy went through it. He was in pain, and he continued to serve. He did not allow his flesh, the thorn in his flesh, to become a barrier, a stumbling block, but rather a stepping stone to service for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I understand that some of you, you just can't. I understand it's, some of you are not to be serving because you can't move. I get that. But for some of you, most of us, you know, a little ache here or there, we say, oh, I can't serve. And yet we look at Paul and like, I think Paul would say, what's your excuse? So I say to you, don't view suffering as an enemy. But greet it. And this is going to throw you off, some of you. But greet it as a friend. In other words, instead of staring at the thorn, some of you are so focused, the thorn, okay? I'm going to talk about your spouse now, okay? The thorn, thorn, you're staring at the thorn. Instead, what you ought to be doing is able to see the rose and smell the fragrance. Yeah? I'm going to close with this. C.H. Spurgeon said this. I love it. When I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is my shield. and Christ is my song. Amen? Whenever you're going through your affliction, ailment, infirmity, sing to him. Worship him. Amen? Let him be your song. Come on, let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for today.